Hi, and welcome to For the Love of Beauty. Yes. So before we get started, we do want to acknowledge that it's the first week of June. It's been about a week since George Floyd died in Minneapolis, uh, which is a, a huge tragedy and has sparked uh, civil unrest across the entire country. And Jessica and I really started this platform and this project to talk about the honest kind of tough issues to talk about within the industry. And so we're already working on an episode where we're going to talk to Diane Stevens, who's a salon owner and a hairstylist um, off the East Coast. She's um, out of DC. Uh, and that episode will actually come out uh, before this one. Um, but what we want to talk about today is uh, as restrictions lift across the world, uh, we need to prepare for a world that's completely changed. Um, not necessarily out of fear, but more out of precaution and better understanding for how illness is spread. So what we're really asking today is how are stylists anticipating change for our industry specifically? So Jessica, I'm curious what you think about this. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because no matter what, we, and we talk about it in the podcast, but no matter what, like change is so scary, you know, but within that you, there's a rebirth when there's change, you know? So we are trying to look at the positive and like, there's a couple things that are really beneficial for the actual hairdresser. And one of them is, you know, a lot of hairdressers, it's tough to talk about money and it's mm. tough conversation to have with your clients that you want to raise your prices you know you kind of feel bad and now we talk about how now's the best time to do it it's a great time um, there are so many different restrictions put in place where you can only have one client at a time or you can't have an assistant um, you can't have more than a couple people in the actual salon so you're spreading your appointments out and so because of that you're you're cost of services has to reflect that. So I think that's pretty cool. You know, I think it empowers the hairdresser to uh, increase their prices. And I mean, no matter what you learn in hair school and in the salon that you have to be clean and you have to make sure you use a new towel on each client, a new cape and all these different things. So it's kind of just reassuring our clients that we've done this and we're going to continue to do this and maybe a couple other precautions and making sure that like the seats are clean or these stations and stuff like that. So clean is good. I'm good with the clean. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think something that really surprised me as I was researching for this a little bit and we, we were preparing for the episode, is um, over a million beauty professionals have been impacted across the country with this. And I think that that's, that's a really staggering number. And, and we know that there are 40 million people unemployed right now or underemployed right now in the U.S., which is um, a devastating number to really to hear. Um, and, and so people are attempting to become less reliant on, on beauty professionals. So whether that's, um, you know, maybe trying to do their own gray touch-up or their own, uh, you know, all-over color, or trying something that's a little bit different or new or going to a simpler haircut that they can maintain themselves. I, I think everyone kind of has those clients that, they only see a few times a year. And, you know, unfortunately we may not see those clients anymore or, or we may see them maybe only once or twice a year because they're really having to uh, reprioritize um, what they're spending their money on. And we talk a little bit about that with Sarah about, um, you know, how we prioritize uh, what we like to do and, and how we spend our money. Um, and it's totally valid. It's okay if a client decides that they need to go a different route to be supportive of that. Yeah. Um, 
So we talk a little bit uh, about uh, an article uh, that was written, I think it was insider.com, uh, about digital beauty businesses. Um, and, and it was talking specifically about makeup, but I think it's really interesting that we might actually see sort of a rebirth of the industry, but through digital. And I think it's a really interesting um, idea because we're so used to uh, being able to talk to people. I think that's, that's the first thing we do when we see our clients is we hug them or we shake their hands. Your um, hair is my hair. Yes, exactly. Um, and so what does that mean now that, you know, maybe we're going to have to have screens between us and how can we sort of keep that livelihood going? Um, what, what thoughts do you have on that? Yeah, I think, you know, now more than ever with social media and stuff like that, like our clients, our, everybody is being educated and it's a beautiful thing. Like you can find anything on the internet. It's really cool. And I think one thing that a lot of hairdressers worry about is, is my client going to come back to me after all this stuff and I don't know what to do? I mean, lucky for us right now, we are seeing very intricate um, techniques being done and intricate colors and stuff like that. And so no matter what, that's going to elevate the hairdresser. That's something a hairdresser couldn't even do on themselves, let alone a client that hasn't been trained. So I think that now it'll be more of giving the client the opportunity to say, hey, I understand maybe you're not financially in a place or, or you're nervous to come to me, but let me give you some ideas on what you can do in the meantime so you don't have to see me so often or so you don't have to spend so much at one time. You know, maybe you can do your root shade at home. Um, I can re recommend really great clients, uh, sorry, really great products on what you can use. Um, and I think that that whole stigma between the client not doing and not understanding and all these different things that's kind of gone. And so now we can use digital as like a tool to educate in a sense. And it, it really does create this like camaraderie between you and a client. And then there's that loyalty even more so if you're teaching them, you know, so it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I think it's, it's a huge subject, but it's definitely, um, I don't think something we're going to solve in, in, uh, a month, a year, even three or four years, let alone a podcast episode. Um, but we're, we're definitely, uh, I, I'm excited about this. It was a really great conversation with Tara. Um, so we'll, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with Tara Cooper. For the Love of Beauty is sponsored by ProfessionalStore.com. It's the best place online for all of your Wella product needs. Just remember, you have to have a license to purchase. All right, welcome back. So with us today, we have Tara Kruper. Uh, Tara is uh, a New Jersey native. She started her career uh, in New Jersey, quickly heading to New York City for the many opportunities that the city had to offer. After years of training and success, an opportunity to move to Los Angeles presented itself, where Tara now works behind the chair at both Manhattan Beach and Beverly Hills. She's been in the industry over 10 years now, educating across the nation, she styled hair for both New York and Los Angeles Fashion Weeks, uh, the Emmys and the AMAs. Done a lot. Wow. <laughs> Impressed with yourself. <laughs> when you put it like that, it does sound like a lot. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about, obviously we heard about yourself, but like about the salon that you're working in and some more personal details about you? Yeah, definitely. Well, first, thanks for having me today. I'm so excited. Yeah. 
And um, yeah, so I work in Beverly Hills. I work out of Salon Republic, which is a studio suite. And then I'm also located at Hush in Manhattan Beach, which is a smaller salon. And um, yeah, so I have the best of both worlds, being in Beverly Hills and also beautiful Manhattan Beach. How long have you been in uh, California? I've been out here for five years. And I've been in actually five different salons the last five years. So it's wow. been a journey. That's pretty cool. Okay, so we're curious to know how you're feeling about the status of beauty professionals right now within the industry. So salons are slowly starting to open all across the U.S. And we just want to know, like, what are some things that you feel that are changing within that status? Wow. Yeah, there's a lot that's changing right now. And um, I think we're still in a stage where some salons are opening, others are closed, others are in the process of the in-between where clients think they're open and they're not open yet. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of confusion going on right now. Um, I think right now it's interesting because people are realizing that, you know, there's a lot of new regulations in place and it's almost that um, being in the service industry, our health is a risk that I didn't realize before it was on the table when I was going to the salon to do my clients. And now it is. So I feel like I'm way more aware of the fact that I could potentially be putting myself in a dangerous situation just by taking clients and doing my normal job. So it's just, I mean, I think everything's changing. Yeah. So, so with that in mind, do, do you think that there is a chance or that people already are less reliant on beauty professionals? Yes, definitely. I would say um, with YouTube and Instagram, there's a lot of you know beauty bloggers and people out there showing techniques and services that you can do at home on yourself. There's also a lot of um, people who are using just everyday products from the grocery store and finding ways to do at-home self-care treatments. So there's a lot of that before this quarantine and salon shutting down. And then now even more so with people just, I feel like they're just wanting to feel good about themselves and just doing it in any way possible. Um, so yeah, I think that it is on the rise and it's, it's almost our job. I wouldn't say to fight them on it. I think people should feel good about themselves. And I know if I were in that situation, I would want to as well. So I think it's almost our responsibility to help them in a way that's not going to hurt them later down the road and then also get them back into the salon and still look to us as a beauty advisor. And yeah. Specialist. yeah. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. But with, with certain techniques, uh, so we think about hand painting, color melting, those have like exploded in the last, I would say, especially five years. Um, how do you think that affects our relevancy? Because those aren't really things that people can easily do on their own. I mean, it's hard enough for us to master those. And we already sort of have the background and the expertise and the experts really taking time and hours and, and in some cases months to learn those. How do you think that affects the relevancy of us? So I am super fortunate in the fact that I specialize in blonding, color corrections, balayage, like that is my specialty, right? So I personally don't advise anyone to do that at home. And I think even when people try to do it at home, it just 
usually doesn't end well because unless you have natural hair that's never been color treated and is very healthy and usually a lighter level of hair, it's not going to come out how you want it and you're gonna end up in the salon anyway. <laughs> so I think that it's helping our relevancy because as much as um, there are some services that you can help people do on their own, right? And it's, of course, I wouldn't advise this as a professional. I think you should get your hair done in the salon. But if you're doing just a simple root touch up and you're brunette and you're not lifting, you're not going lighter with your hair, you might be able to pull that off at home, right? Um, but if you're trying to go, if you're trying to lift your base and go lighter and, and then you're dealing with, you know, formulation, it's not as easy as just like a simple gray color uh, coverage. I can't speak today for some reason. Um, so I think like that makes things more difficult. And then also when you add highlights into the mix and dimensional hair coloring, balayage, that still keeps us relevant because there are people who will still try it on their own, but then there's people that want their hair to look really good and they'll definitely be back in the salon and they'll pay the money for yeah. it. Yeah. One of the things when I was still behind the chart, even still now is I think people underestimate the amount of expertise and time that it takes to make something look natural. Like, ex like uh, my favorite thing was to do really expensive looking, natural looking hair. Like the, the type of people who are literally trying to keep it a secret that they color their hair. And that's the type of thing that like, that you can't get in a box, you, you can't do on your own. Like that really takes hours in some cases to get that right because it's such a, a fine balance between, to your point, like dimension and base color that um, I, I agree. I, I think that we're not irrelevant in any way, um, but people are looking for things that they can do on their own in a time where we're, we're inaccessible. Yeah, and to add to that, um, I think that it's, it's doing us a disservice now if we're not there to help our clients who are looking to do something on their own because they're seeing it as a way of we don't care about them enough to help them. And um, I think it's almost like, you, like each stylist has to find a way that they're comfortable giving enough advice to to not hold someone back or not just say no because they just think, oh, just professional, you know, because now there's so much information out there. They'll find the information just not from you and now they no longer trust you. So how does that conversation go? Like, how do you have those conversations? Do you have any advice for other hairdressers on how to have them as well? Well, yeah. So um, for me, that was hard too, because especially when, you know, when all of this started happening, quarantine happened, salons are shut down, across the board, companies are taking stances on whether they support at-home coloring or whether they don't. And I feel like it was such a divide. Um, so for me, it was important to explain to clients that it was the reason behind why I do or don't support it. So the reason behind that was that they could end up damaging their hair or they don't know the right shade to use. They don't know the right product to use. So um, I guess my way to go about it was to inform them of my reasoning. So as far as should I color my hair at home with box color? Um, if, and I would tell them if you're doing demi-permanent hair color, which is just blending and more of a temporary fix, sure because it's not that harmful on your hair. There's no ammonia. It's more of a temporary fix or semi-permanent. And I would actually help them. I would say, I would give them advice. You know, if you're doing that, I suggest that you wait. But if you need to do it, I understand, I support you. 
I won't shame you. Maybe stick to a level lighter than what we normally do. You know, I would give them kind of advice to help them get there. And I would explain to them why permanent color wasn't a good choice because, and, um, because it can actually damage your hair. And if you overlap it, you can have damage. It could also expose a lot of warmth. So I would educate them. And then also, um, I would explain to them that I wasn't not, I was choosing to not recommend products for them to get at the drugstore, not because I, I think that, well, well, here's the thing. I do think that drugstore products are not up to quality, right? So that is across the board. But I wasn't telling them not to do that because I just wanted to just get rid of them. I honestly don't know about those products. So I would tell them, I have no idea about the products in the stores. I'm not educated on them. So I don't trust my opinion on them. And you could probably find a better opinion on what brands are better on online, on a blog. So I would just kind of educate them. I love that actually. Like that's the perfect setup and that's a great way to kind of explain to others on how to talk to their clients. Cause it's true. Like you don't have the right education behind it. You're a professional and you have education behind those professional type of products. So have you thought of like, are you, are you doing this digitally um, or adding any sort of like distance services into your business because of it? So I haven't. I don't, um, people who are doing that, I completely support them. Uh, for me, because I am an educator, I've been teaching classes during quarantine. So teaching classes, responding to clients, trying to figure out my life. And then in addition to making tutorials for my client, it was just overwhelming. So I couldn't, um, but I would look for them and then direct clients to them, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I felt like, that was kind of a good area to meet in the middle. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so like, obviously the industry is changing, right? Like, which could be a very scary thing. Change is scary no matter what, but also comes with some really amazing benefits as well. So like, what are some of the things that excite you about what is actually changing about the industry now? Huh. Yeah. yeah. It's weird to be excited. <laughs> um, I would say uh, I gave myself a raise. So I'm ah. super excited about that. <laughs> um, I feel like now it's just this put in perspective how important our jobs are, how necessary we are and how needed we are. People thought we were an essential business, you know, to the point where they were protesting about it. So clearly our value is pretty high. And our prices don't always reflect that. So, you know, after being in Los Angeles for five years, starting a new clientele, I'm now at the point where, okay, this, this is a health risk to be in the salon. And apparently people need us. So I'm going to value myself at a level I think I should, and I'm raising my prices. So that is the benefit. Um, also, I'm going to, I know for myself, I'm going to be way more strategic about how many hours I'm spending working. I just had such a hustle mentality of work every day, never say no to a client. I would be in the salon for 12 hours. I would, yeah, just, I would go home, my body hurts. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. And now I'm at a point where, you know what, I value my own health at just as much as I value my client's health and just everyone overall. So I'm going to put, make myself a priority and not work all the time, so. I, I think that that's, that's great that you've come to this realization. Um, 
to back up just slightly to the, the conversation about giving yourself a raise. So yeah. we already know as the long clients return, which, which I think is great. I'm, I'm with Jessica. I, I think that a, a lot of hairstyles probably need to reevaluate the prices because we know a lot of them only do it every four or five, maybe even longer than that. Some never really raise their prices. Um, but we know as salon clients return, especially color clients, and especially considering the type of work you do, which is intense blonding, and, and uh, we're looking at a lot of color correction work now, which is already expensive, more expensive than what your clients uh, maybe typically pay. How are you preparing to have the conversation with them that not only are they probably going to have to pay a little bit more than they're used to paying, but on top of that, uh, the, the price that they used to pay is already going to be increased. Okay, I understand the question. It is a difficult <laughs> one. Um, I would say I'm, so even though I gave myself a price raise, I'm not necessarily gouging people because I understand that we're all hit financially from this. I do care about my clients. So um, because we are booking, now we cannot double book. Uh, in the salon I'm working in, there's no assistance. So you're with one client the whole time. I'm charging extra for product needed. But if someone if someone needs their base color done and they have a longer regrowth than normal, I'm not charging them two base colors. Mm -hmm. I'm just charging them, uh, you know, a little surcharge for extra product. Yeah, like needed. the $10 for the extra. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. And then, um, I mean, if they've colored them their hair themselves over the break <laughs> the break it makes it sound like a spring break or something yeah. um and then they're in the salon and i'm having to do a lot of corrective work i'm definitely making sure to consult with them ahead of time before the appointments uh through text um, they're sending me photos of what their hair looks like and i'm not just saying okay this is what the price will be and it's this huge price i'm breaking it down into what i need to do to, to get their hair back and offering them uh, more bite-sized pieces to get there. So if they don't have the budget to pay for the service needed, I'm offering them a solution that maybe they can handle right now and then we can work towards getting there more long-term, if that makes sense. Um, at the same time, I can't be too lenient because I feel like we really have to take ownership of ourselves as a business and in the past, I've just, I care so much about people that I want to discount my services for their benefit. And it's really, you know, over these past few months, I'm, I'm at home with no job. It just really puts things in perspective and people are still, you know, they still want you to do their hair, but it's like, who's looking out for us? We've seen people show up, which is great, but I just, I'm realizing I have to look out for myself. So if one of my clients who I dearly love, who supported me from the beginning, cannot afford my pricing, I'm happy to refer them to someone at their price level or give them suggestions of what they can do. But I also feel like I owe it to myself to not, to not cave, if that makes sense. I think that's one of the hardest things as a hairdresser, because really like you're putting a price on yourself and the services that you provide. So to tell someone like that, this is my price now, and they're like, whoa, you're too expensive that's a very difficult conversation to have, which a lot of other professions don't have. Do you know what I'm saying? So like navigating that and understanding how to have those really tough, difficult discussions in general, and let alone right now after everything, um, kudos to you. 
it's definitely tough. And all these hairdressers out there, you know? Yeah. And the way that I had that conversation, because for me, I mean, just, it's the weirdest conversation for me to have about money. Even it's something I really don't like talking about at all. So I try to just get it out of the way as soon as possible. (laughs) Um, So before I had people texting me for appointments, wanting to book, and I sent them this long message of new regulations in the salon, what new scheduling will look like. And in that list, I included, this is also my new price list. And it's a reflection of my time, the product needed, and the circumstances that are occurring right now. And, um, and I look forward to seeing you. So, and I even, I even said, if you've already reached out to me for an appointment, just confirm that you've received this message if you're still interested in an appointment. I so I just kind of, yeah, I just gave it to them. <laughs> and it also, so there's two things, right? So this is some really great advice to like other hairdressers. There's two things where it's like, get your client's phone numbers, get their information, whether it be email, phone number, their Instagram, so you can direct message them. So there's an actual communication between you and the, the client and they're, you're taking out that middleman, which is the salon essentially, right? The salon management. And so you have that. And then also having that kind of generic message where it's like, listen, we're in an industry where everything is very emotional. Our clients talk about their feelings and we're there every step of their life and their, their journey, you know, getting married, being single, having kids, all the different things. But at the end of the day, it's a business and you need to do what's right for you. And having that communication and that dialogue um, and really just this is how it is, is really great. And it's a great, that's one of the positive things that have come out of this, you could say in a sense, where it's like now you can kind of go back to having that really like business conversation and you kind of take all that emotion out, which is kind of, it's okay. You know, that's really okay. Yeah. And I think it, the fact that it comes from a place of not wanting to take advantage of someone, you know, I, I'm very understanding of what everyone's going through right now. And, but it's also self-worth. It's like this time has made all of us take care of ourselves and pause for the first time in a long time and realize that, you know, we deserve better or, you know, we just deserve to, to feel good about what we're charging or what we're representing or who we are and just like acknowledging your worth and having that reflect it in your pricing or even in how you deal with clients, how you manage your time. It just all goes back to self-worth. So it's a hard conversation. And even as I'm saying this, I'll probably listen back to this and be like, wow, that was a little harsh, you know, but, um, I love all my clients dearly. I love everyone and I wish them the best. And even if they decide not to come back to me, I'm not taking it personally. I love them. I wish the best for them, but it's just, yeah, we just have to make, it's almost like we have to take a stand and just set up our standards. Yeah. And and I think that that's the whole conversation around money, the whole pandemic and and sort of global crisis aside, um, I think is something that we're never truly prepared for prior to sort of getting thrown behind the chair and just dealing with it. And it was a lot of years behind the chair before I finally really realized that kind of what you were saying earlier, Tara, about like, get the conversation out of the way. And it wasn't even so much get the conversation out of the way, but I started realizing that my clients were sitting there for their two hour appointment, wondering the entire time how much that was going to cost them. And it's a source of anxiety. And I I think that, you know, yes, there are a lot of people saying that we're we're an essential industry. Uh, I've always viewed us as a luxury industry because 
we're, we're luxury services and we're luxury pricing in a lot of cases. Um, and to be able to just have that conversation out the gate, but not only have it, but have it every single appointment. And I, even my single haircuts that I, you know, in seven years ago in, in the Midwest, I was, you know, charging around like $50 or something. And I would tell my, my client who had been coming to me for two years and today your haircut's $50. And they're like, yeah, I get it. Like it's been $50 for every six weeks since I've been coming to you. But it was that assurance of like, I have the, the price hasn't gone up yet. And this is what you're going to leave paying today. And I think that kind of to, uh, to your point is like, we need to be able to sort of give that, like that source of anxiety back of like, we, we don't need them wondering the entire time how much they're paying. I think that um, we're sort of taught almost like not to talk about money or to almost think out of someone else's wallet. And like, you, you can't do that. The price is the price. And if they're, they don't want to pay that, it doesn't mean that they don't value you or they don't have it. it just means that that money is like ear tag for something else. That's totally okay. I don't, I don't care about cars. I don't spend money on cars. Like it's the same thing to me. Everyone has a frivolity. I buy like for me, it's shoes. I spend tons of money on shoes. Not everyone has that same respect. You know what I mean? Like we all spend money on different things and yeah, it's totally okay. You don't want to spend these prices. It's somebody else will have, you know, do great hair in the price range that you're looking to pay. And I think it's good that we have an open conversation about that because so often it seems like we're at odds with that, that whole topic. And I don't think, to be. Yeah, I com- and I completely agree that we, I also see us as a luxury service, which is interesting to why, like, why do I feel like I have to discount a luxury service? Other luxury brands aren't discounting their work. Never. Yeah. <laughs> and why do I feel so awkward saying, stating my price? So I think, and even going back to what Jessica was saying, um, like when you work for a salon and then like I was under a salon's roof. So my pricing, I would just say, yeah, salon price. It is what it is. And now I'm my own boss. So it's very, it's a little bit more interesting because I don't have an owner to hide behind, (laughs) you know, I'm my own, my own entity now. So I feel like I do the thing where right up front, I'm upfront about my pricing before we even start the service. I tell them exactly what my services cost. If there's more product, it might go up and it, you know, we might run into an issue where we have to do another different service that might be more money. So I'm very upfront about it. And that's a way for me to feel comfortable with um, just getting it out of the way because some clients are okay with spending a lot of money. Some of them are having anxiety attacks in your chair, wondering how much it's going to be. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, thinking about really the topic at hand today, which is, is uh, people coming back uh, to the salon after salons are reopened. There was a recent insider.com article that discusses um, the possibility of clients actually starting to sort of pick and choose services to do themselves. Um, and the specific article actually uses the example of uh, maybe they'll get their pedicure done professionally, but they'll do their manicure at home. And so we're actually seeing possibly a prediction of uh, up to 50% loss in sales for service providers. Um, so with the rise in, in DIY, uh, have you factored that into sort of your plan to like move forward? 
Well, I didn't know that fact. <laughs> I would oh. love to read that article. <laughs> um, I guess, you know, there's, there's different clientele, clients and clientele out there. And even within my clientele, I have the whole range. And there's some people who like an experience and there's some people who just don't want to be bothered and want someone else to do something for them and don't care how much it costs. And then there's people who will, you know, think, oh, I can do this myself. I'm kind of creative and artistic. And then I'll, I'll do something that I can't do myself at the salon. Um, I feel like I want to cater to the people that will spend the money because my end goal is to be able to live a relaxing life near the beach, go on vacation, you know, so, so, um, and time is money. So I guess, I guess I'm not factoring it in, in a way. I'm almost going to keep my business plan on par with what it is as far as, you know, keeping my prices across the board the same and increasing a little bit and being more um, choosy of my time. And then I feel like if you set that, set that pace, then people will meet you at it. So I'll attract the clientele that I'm looking for or that I have. And, you know, I'll attract new clients who can, who, like you're saying, you want to spend money on shoes. I'll find that in the hair world. People who want to spend the money on beauty because they want an expert and they want the luxury. And, um, and yeah, I guess that's what I'm focusing on, what I can control. So the, the same article uh, talks about clients being more aware of hygienic and sanitation practices. And you talked a little bit about in your text or your message out to clients about uh, sort of your changing expectations, because that's really what it is, is, is we're expecting them now to come a certain way and to prepare a certain way. Um, how are you able to show your clients that you're sort of giving that, back that same level of thought and, and what they can expect as they come back? Um, and, and how can they know that the practices and measures that you're taking are enough? I guess, I mean, I, well, as you're saying that, I guess I could be even um, more communicative to them by telling them what, you know, I, could, I guess I could even forward them an article or salon, um, the new salon procedure. So if they were interested or provide resources for them, if you want to know what salon should be like, you can be directed here. So I'm thinking I could actually do that for people who are really concerned, but I did tell them, you know, I'll be taking extra time before and after appointments. I also let them know that the salon was always clean. You know, now it's like you have to use a new robe, a new cape for each client. Don't use a dirty towel. So I let them know that I never did that on them <laughs> to begin with, but now I'll definitely not be doing that, right? And letting them know that the extra time before and after their appointments are used to sanitize more thoroughly, um, that I'll be wearing a mask, they'll be wearing a mask. I've actually been taking my appointments at the salon outdoors, which being in Los Angeles and especially by the beach, it's a little cooler, it's beautiful outside. And I feel like that in itself is a, even an extra precaution because open air is just better. Um, I'm, I'm telling them, you know, that they can't bring anyone with them. We can't offer them beverages. They have to text me when they arrive so that I, they can come in when I'm ready for them. They need their temperature checked. I mean, it's really just a lot. So I guess I'm doing, I'm doing what I can and letting them know what I'm doing. And then I'm also 
saying that if you still don't feel comfortable at the salon, I completely get it. And um, I'm here when you're ready. Uh, I am offering some house call services to my clients as well, but also still being aware that I don't want to overbook myself getting back into the salon after being off for so long. And there's still just so much, we still don't really know what's going on. So I'm just, you know, a lot of moving parts, but does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was just really interested on your, on your perspective of that, of, of, of what you thought of that, because I think, especially not having been in the salon for a few years, um, I, I'm with you. It, we, we already had sanitation and hygiene practices. And yes, there were people and companies that, uh, or I shouldn't say companies, there were people that would reuse capes and things like that because that's why we have neck strips. And, and you know, there were already kind of safety measures in that way, but now we're having to heighten them even more to say, okay, well, we shouldn't be, you know, maybe we should be using neck strips in, a, in addition to capes just to, to help people feel more comfortable. Um, but I, I agree. I, I've never worked in an environment that wasn't already following a lot of these, these practices. Um, but I think the more thorough cleaning and I'm seeing a lot of salons uh, that have multiple people in one room putting up uh, barriers, you know, between chairs and between shampoo bowls uh, just to stop the, the flow of air really to be able to go back and forth. Um, I'm seeing a lot of stylists wearing uh, face shields, um, things, things like that. So do you, do you have a preference of doing hair at the salon or doing a house call? Or is it like, we don't know yet. Like, cause I feel like everyone's not really sure how to act. You know what I mean? But like, how are you feeling about that? I am honestly, um, like I said, I, I specialize in blonding and color corrections. So as far as, um, like, I feel like the quality of my services are better at the salon when I have resources, like a whole color bar and good lighting and uh, shampoo sinks. So there are some services that I prefer to do at the salon. Um, then there's also some, like if it's a haircut, I would much rather go to do a house call for my client because for me it's, it's easier and they feel more comfortable. And then um, I'm not having, I'm not having back-to-back -back clients. I'm not worried about other people's clients or being in an area with a lot of people. So, I mean, it's really, it's a toss up. It's also, it has to do with just scheduling in general because the city of LA is so, so spread out that there's only a certain number of house calls I would be able to book a day. So then I would have to upcharge for them. And then it goes back to, you know, who can afford that. And there's just, there's so many elements to it. I guess I enjoy doing both or having the option to do both if I choose. I think one of the cool things about house calls with haircuts is like they can clean it. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to clean. <laughs> yeah. Just to leave what? the hair on the floor. <laughs> All right, thanks, bye. <laughs> Yeah, so, I do find people feel more comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so we are uh, wrapping up on our time. Um, so, Tara, every episode we do what we call moment of beauty. Um, this is something that's not necessarily beauty related, uh, but something that's just like good or or beautiful that we've recently seen or experienced. Um, so, uh, I'll go first. Uh, there's a show on HBO called We're Here, which is three drag queens that travel the country 
and uh, visit areas where like LGBT and queer people uh, maybe don't have as much of a voice in that community and actually put on like a huge drag show uh, with people from the community. If you have HBO, if you don't, if you have Hulu, you can add HBO for like $14 or something. It's a really good show. And I grew up in an area very similar to like where they visit. And so for someone like me, it really, uh, it really resonates with me. And I just think it's a, it's a great show and it's a very good feel good show uh, for a particularly dark uh, time of life. So Tara, uh, do you have a moment? Well, first of all, I'm definitely going to watch that show. And I, I don't have my own HBO, but I do have someone else's login, which I feel like that's how it works nowadays, right? So I'll definitely be checking that out. And um, okay, so, you know, it's like, there's a lot going on. And I think my moment of beauty would have, or that's the moment of beauty, right? Yeah, moment of beauty. Yeah, okay. Um, it would be everyone coming together, right? So... I think, so, I mean, this isn't, this is kind of hair related, I know, but it would be um, the fact that, you know, going through what we just went through and being out of work, it was just very, very stressful. And there's been a lot of people showing up for other people and a lot of companies going out of their way to take care of their employees or to take care of the stylists that have been supporting them. So... I think that was, it's like, you feel like I'm, I'm in the salon every day and I feel, you know, I run my own business and it's me and my clients. So I feel alone in that aspect. And I, I haven't felt so alone going through this pandemic um, because I feel like people have really shown up and, you know, even like, well, I'm an educator. So they allowed me to teach classes from my home. So it was just, it was just an amazing way to see people show up for you and friends and family. I think there's, you know, you could focus on the things that are going wrong with the world and it is very dark. And then but the positive is that you see people, you know, rise above it, get really creative and start focusing on art and music and new ideas, new businesses, and then seeing people show up for you. I think it was just like, it's a very interesting time and I'm actually appreciative for it. And, you know, I think that a lot of good will come out of it. Yeah. So I'm going to go a little deep, but for me, I am really just change, right? Like, so I said earlier, like change is scary, but it also is such a cool, great, amazing thing. And one thing we can always expect out of life is that there's always going to be change in some way or another, um, from the pandemic to what's happening right now. Um, and just inclusivity I think is really big and I think um to kind of talk on your point like everyone has come together like whether it be for the pandemic for hairdressers and making sure that like we're you know from a corporate side we are trying to support you guys as much as we can and then it's kind of like all right moving forward how are we going to navigate this industry so you know everybody has a uh, some sort of foundation that they're able to rely on. You know, I think the thought process behind that changes. Everything that, um, with the murder of George Floyd, like it sparked such an huge movement that I think is just, I mean, this change should have happened forever ago. We know that, but the fact that it is happening is a really great thing. And like, I'm looking forward to 
more of that change kind of coming through and just uh, seeing where society is taking us. Um, I'm looking forward to it, definitely, but you know, it's scared because it's, it's the unknown, but I'm looking forward to change for sure. Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty and and um, a lot of people just realizing that like overall, like everything has to change, like jobs, businesses, how people treat people just all across the board. And I think that it's actually like, you know, change is uncomfortable and um, but uncomfort is good and it makes you grow. So I think this will will come out on top of this. So what's more beautiful than that? Yeah. Right? <laughs> Beautiful. So Tara, uh, before we, we wrap up here, tell everyone uh, where they can find you, your socials. Okay, so you can find me at Tara Takes Over on Instagram. I'm also on Facebook at Tara Kruper, and it's two R's, T-A-R-R-A-K-R-U-P-E-R. Um, I also have another Instagram, Weaver LA, which also has two R's, and you can find that through Tara Takes Over. So um, I have a lot of, uh, I love a lot of things out there as far as my personal page, Tara Takes Over is more of just, you know, um, behind the chair, also teaching, also lifestyle. Um, then Weaver LA is more education-based. I also do fundraisers to raise money for charities. So that is more education. So if someone's looking for just um, resources, formulation, stuff like that, they can go to Weaver LA. And then I also have a website, weaverla.com, where I just post, you know, I'm actually starting a blog. So you can find me, Google me. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, we want to thank uh, you, Tara, for, for being with us today. This is a really great conversation. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, don't forget to, subscri to subscribe if you watch us on YouTube or uh, you can follow us on whatever podcast host uh, that you're listening to us on. So thank you, Tara. And uh, thank you. for. Thank, thank you. So much. Much.